0: Three, two, one. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends, everything happens for reason. Seriously, a you had one job. I, just, I, I can't Jeez. with some of these people. I Mom, put down on your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my but advice. seriously, that legit happened. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits episode six. I am your host, Ricky Rosen, and essentially, as you know, guys, this is a podcast about just about everything, ranging from psychology and technology, to politics, to fitness, and back again. This week, we'll be discussing some really compelling topics, including habit formation. Why do habits exist, and is it possible to form new habits, or are we stuck in our ways forever? Dating. How exactly would you go about starting a conversation with someone in public? The do's and don'ts of making the approach and why it's not just men who should be doing this and as promised, fiber, F-I-B-E-R, why it is critical to a balanced diet and how exactly to get more of it in there. All that and so much more on this week's episode of Nervous Habits. Guys, I am in a wonderful mood today. Um, I'm overflowing with energy, you know, even, even more than usual. I had like three or four cups of coffee at brunch, you know, spent the weekend with my best friend and certain people, when you spend time with them, it just puts you in a good mood. You know, you're, you're feeling like your best self. So, um, might be, might be a little more peppy and, and, um, you know, eccentricly, eccentrically energetic than usual. Uh, keep sending those emails in nervous habits, podcast at gmail.com nervous habits, podcast at gmail.com also on Instagram at nervous habits, uh, podcast, you know, I might change the format of the show a little bit. Um, I have been getting feedback from folks that essentially is, uh, you know, people like listening to me delve deep into psychology, philosophy, and dating, but, you know, are less intrigued with the superficiality about conversations on sports. And as much as I love baseball, I might kind of trim the fat a little bit on nervous habits on um, Less sports and more of those those deeper existential conversations that are enjoyable for me, you know, as well as hopefully for you guys to, to listen to and engage with. I did get a couple of emails following last week's episode. Um, that was the conversation I had with uh, my friend, the uh, – data scientist, (laughs) Angelo Piazza, also known as AJ, um, we had a conversation about consciousness and artificial intelligence. Uh, I did get two emails uh, or two messages I want to share with you guys quickly. One was from Andrew from Worcester, Massachusetts, um, and he emailed me and said, "Uh, just an observation I had about the convo you guys had on consciousness. I think your guest, uh, that was AJ, provided a hyper anthropomorphic view of consciousness Needing to know there is a bigger world is not a factor, in my opinion. A good chunk of human civilizations didn't know of a broader world. Why not extend it to reaches of knowledge we are not aware of currently? Future generations would deem us unconscious beings. So, Andrew, I mean, it's certainly you know you raise an interesting point, and obviously it sounds like you've you've reasoned uh, through this um, quite a bit, and of course you know your. For people that either don't remember or didn't listen to episode five, you're mentioning the components of consciousness. And on the podcast, AJ and I talked about being aware of yourself and being aware of the outside world as being crucial to, uh, con- to being conscious. So I see what you're saying, Andrew. But my question for you would be, and this might sound meta- metaphysical, but how could you even be aware of yourself if you're not aware relative to some outside thing or place? So I, this is a little abstract, but I know I exist. But what is existence if if it isn't existing in the world? You know, like that right there, that shows that I'm aware that I'm a part of this world. So it really needs to be relative to a position in, in a larger context. And I respect what you're saying. I appreciate the point of view. And like I said with consciousness a lot last episode, there's no right answer. Um... I'm not sure I, I, I agree with, with that, that you can have an awareness of yourself and not of the broadness of your existence in a larger world, right? I, I don't think that would be said to be conscious. Um, interesting what you said about uh, the hyper-anthropomorphic view. Believe it or not, the second message I got touched on anthropomorphism um, as well, and I'm going to explain what that is. So I got a DM on Instagram, a direct message at Nervous Habits Podcast uh, from Marissa, And she wrote, I know you said you didn't think dogs were really conscious or intelligent compared to other animals. I had a dog, and she had a good memory, could recognize vocab, faces, and routines. So on the podcast, uh, I talked about consciousness in animals, and, um, you know, I didn't mean it as a slight to dogs, but uh, I didn't really, uh, you know, consider their consciousness to be elevated to that of of parrots, for example – Mercy, I appreciate your comment. Uh, every animal's different. You know, it's possible your your dog might be the the Neil deGrasse Tyson of pooches, but I think it comes down to familiarity. You know, you spend a lot of time with your dog, and you may attribute these characteristics uh, almost like Andrew was mentioning with anthropomorphism. And if you haven't heard of anthropomorphism, what the word basically means, it's the assigning of human-like qualities to animals. So it's like saying. My dog loves to watch Fox News, which is something my mom actually says um, when people assign those human-like characteristics to their animals. I'm not necessarily even saying that you're doing that, but if you just look physiologically at a scan of the brain of a dog compared to, you know, an elephant or a crow or a chimpanzee, you're not going to see the same localization of function when it comes to memory, when it comes to emotional depth. Um, I think if you had a pet, you know, elephant or crow or whatever, you'd be more than impressed with its capabilities. But I do appreciate you reaching out and Andrew uh, from Worcester, mass uh, that, that email as well, guys keep sending those emails. in. it's, it's a lot of fun for me. And it's, it's pretty wholesome to like log in and see like people are listening and people are interested in the material and, Um, so nervous has nervous habits, podcast at gmail.com or DM on Instagram, like Marissa at nervous habits, podcast. Also, I hate to be that guy. Um, I, am not going to say this regularly. I'll just, I'll just say it once. And then, you know, hopefully you guys will will forgive me, but, uh, if if you wouldn't mind taking a moment just to rate and review the podcast on, on Apple Podcasts if you're listening, I know, I know a lot of you guys stream and you don't download and I, I can't see that, but, uh, you know, just click, you know, Five stars, or, or whatever you think is appropriate, and uh, write write a little blurb that would mean a lot um, for myself and for other people that might be interested in the material. So just get to you know check that off the list and and move forward. So you know uh, just, just get that out of the way. So guys, uh, I do want to start today talking about habit formation. Um, it's only fitting that on a podcast called Nervous Habits we would talk about this at some point. We all have habits. Some are good, some are bad. For me. Everyone that knows me knows I'm very fidgety and I have a tendency to not be able to sit still. There are people who you guys have probably seen this on like dates or, you know, in in like school, there's the guy that shakes his leg, you know, like he's sitting down and his leg is just like, like, you know, twitching up and down. I don't do that. That actually kind of makes me, makes me a little nervous. Um, but I, I chew on like pen caps. I've been a nail biter my whole life. Um, you know, Freud would say, uh, I'm stuck in the psychosexual stage of development. And of course we'll talk about Freud a lot later when we get to the dreaming in a future episode, but habits exist for a reason. They're purposeful evolutionarily. You know, uh, if habits weren't useful, they would have been, uh, you know, displaced years ago, but you know, why do we need habits and and what purpose do they serve? Here's the thing, guys, you know, we think that we're out here making conscious decisions every single day of our lives. The truth is we are not. Um, more than 40% of the decisions we make every day are actually habits. Uh, and th- th- you know, it's more efficient that way. Habits are, are critical to, fun- to our functioning as humans. Like take, for example, morning routines. You know, We wake up, we shower, make our bed, shave, get dressed, uh, eat breakfast, and leave. Knowing what to do rather than having to wing it uh, allows us to like, save more time and be efficient. So every morning, guys, we have kind of like micro decisions that, that we have to make. Things that you're not really necessarily giving thought to, but you kind of do almost as if you're programmed to do them. So think about it like, which hand do you use to brush your teeth? How long should you spend in the shower before you get out? Should you put your shirt on first or your socks when you get dressed? If you actually took the time to answer these questions, you know, we would all be woefully inefficient. Instead of a 20 minute morning routine, it would be an hour and a half because we're constantly like, you know, weighing the pros and cons of each little decision that we make, right? Remember the, the segment I did about maximizing and satisfying how complicated decision-making could be? So habits are our shortcuts, so to speak, our way of making decisions quickly by falling into these routines. And we have habits for just about everything, but most of us don't even realize it. A lot of our habits are productive, like, you know, getting ready in the morning or checking email as soon as you get to work. Some can be destructive though, you know, like eating when we're not hungry out of habit, checking our Instagram feed when we're bored or you know, on the toilet, um, binge watching Netflix or <clears throat> habitually clicking refresh on our internet browsers. But let's say that you have a habit that you want to change or let's say you want to change your routine, maybe start going to the gym in the morning. Um, is it possible to form new habits? Is it easy to form new habits or are we just stuck in our old ways forever? The thing is, guys, habits can be changed. They are not permanent and changing them is a lot less Arduous than you would think. So there's a book uh, that you know definitely inspired me to to think about habits differently. It's called The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. You probably heard of it. It was a, a bestseller in the New York Times list. Um, and I'm going to include it in the details section in case you want to get more info. But essentially, the book says, guys, that habits work in three step loops. There's a cue, a routine, and a reward. So let's say you know you walk into the food court. Um, you're at the mall. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're drinking some water because you listened to, to episode four um, and you're, uh, you you know, walking around and you're in the food court. You want to order something from the salad bar. You want to be healthy. You know, you listen to episode one and you want your protein. I'm sorry, guys. I'll stop. I'll stop plugging past episodes. And you want something from the salad bar, but you find yourself seduced by the McDonald's, you know, and, and, and you find yourself drawn to the McDonald's. Um, at the food court. The cue is what triggers you to do the habit. The habit, by the way, is, is eating McDonald's. The cue is the, the delicious, greasy French fry smell. You, you guys have, have all smelled it before. It's, it's you know, the sweet, salty, savory. Um, you could just you can just visualize the French fries being dipped into that, that fryer. Um, so that's the cue. The routine is the behavior that you automatically engage in, which is to stand in line and order your food and the reward for re- completing the routine is the way that, you know, the, the burgers and French fry taste as, you know, you, as you devour them, you know, and shit. Now, now <laughs> I don't know about you. Now I really want a Big Mac. Um, so remember, cue, routine, and reward. That's the three steps to a habit cycle that Charles Duhigg describes in his book. And for me, as a lifelong nail-biter, um, my three-step loop is like this. The cue is I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling bored and I need stimulation. Um, the routine is I'm biting my nails, I'm, I'm chewing my nails. And the reward is I get either relief from the anxiety or temporary distraction from my boredom. Um, and this happens, by the way, this happens kind of outside the realm of consciousness. I don't want you, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm sitting there and I consciously bring my hands up to my teeth and start chewing. It happens without realizing it. I've had friends, you know, sister, like, you know, uh, girlfriends who have said like, oh, like, you know, stop biting your nails. Or like, do you realize you? I used to bite my nails when I'm driving? Like all these different settings. I'm not even realizing it because almost like the morning routine, guys, it's pre-programmed and it's happening. That cue routine reward cycle. But what Duhigg argues is you can change your habits by substituting one part of the loop. And that's the routine. People think that if you want to, you know, quit biting your nails, if you want to cut out a habit, just stop, just, just stop, you know, but you cannot eliminate a habit without replacing it with something else. So remember, cue, routine, reward. The next time I feel anxious or need stimulation, when I have that cue, instead of biting my nails, I could play with a fidget spinner or squeeze a stress ball. That in essence would reform the habit because I would still get the reward, which is either distraction, relief from anxiety, but I'm replacing that middle you know, routine in order to completely eradicate the bad habit. Now, for me, this hasn't, you know, this hasn't worked. And that's, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think that nail biting is, is one of those habits that's ingrained so deeply in a lot of people's DNA, my DNA, you know, having, I mean, a little bit of anxiety um, that it's, it's it's been. Div- I mean, I've tried fidget spinners. I've tried stress balls. I've tried rubber bands. I've tried you know keeping a uh, a, a you know note card and notating each time. Of, like I, I've tried a lot. It hasn't worked. Um, but I, I I can promise you that the cue routine reward substitution works for most people. And I'm gonna I'm you know I'm gonna give more examples in a moment. So the key that Duhigg talks about is self-monitoring. You need to be ultra vigilant of your behavior. So here's another example he uses in the book. Guys, let's say you want to stop eating cookies at work. You know, you've noticed that every time 2 or 3 p.m. rolls around, you know, you just had your lunch, you got another hour, a couple hours to go, and you just find yourself going to the cafeteria and ordering a large, soft chocolate chip cookie every day, uh, continuously. So you need to observe yourself in order to understand why you're eating those cookies. Look for the underlying cues that initiate the routine and consider the reward that you're getting from eating the cookie. So do says you know, you can keep a log. And kind of notice over a week or two, every day that you eat a cookie, you know what? What's the cue? Is it that you're hungry, or you know maybe you're eating a cookie even when you're not hungry? Maybe you're bored and you need a distraction. So you're gonna write down that cue, and then you you know and then you begin to substitute other routines when that cue comes to bring about that same reward of feeling good. So maybe you know if if you're bored or and you need a distraction. You know, you stop by a friend's desk for a conversation at 2 or 3 p.m. every day. Maybe if you're feeling low energy, instead of the sugar rush from a cookie, you make a cup of coffee. And you find whichever reward, you know, fixes that habit and you're good. A lot of it is experimentation, you know, trying different routines and seeing what will bring about that reward when that cue arises. Um, you know, you have to kind of be willing to, to be patient with it, to take the time to consider, um, you know, a couple of different possible solutions. But the most important part of this whole process, it comes down to willpower. Willpower is a real thing, by the way. It's, it's a tangible, uh, measurable, quantifiable, uh, you know, concept that, we, that you can actually see. Um, and there are some great experience in psych that show that willpower and in, impulse control are real phenomena. In 1996, and, and I learned about this when I was in college, I took a class on social psychology and a lot of the experiments that I talk about in the podcast, I learned about um, in my psychology courses, really interesting stuff. In 1996, a man named uh, Roy Baumeister, he conducted an experiment, okay? He kept 67 participants in a room that smelled like freshly baked chocolate and then he showed them the actual treat. So, you know, close your eyes, visualize, you're in a room you know, smells like a bakery, fresh chocolate. You're probably pretty hungry. It's lunchtime. And then you're sitting, you know, and you see the chocolate in front of you. There were two groups in there, guys. One group got to indulge their urges and eat the chocolate. The second group, they just got to eat a bowl of radishes. After this, Baumeister gave both groups an exhausting puzzle to do. Picture like, like Sudoku or, um, you know, one of those, one of those like numerical puzzles that, You know, like maybe, maybe you're kind of a, (laughs) you're, you're a math nerd and you're into that. But most people, especially on an empty stomach, that's, that's a little bit tough. What he found was the group that ate the radishes made far fewer attempts at solving the puzzle and also devoted less than half the time to solving it compared to the group that ate the chocolate. So like a takeaway from this experiment is willpower, self-control, impulse control, whatever you want to call it. It's a measurable resource that can be depleted, right? The people that that had the chocolate, they didn't have to use any willpower. So they had all of it in their reserve to use on the puzzle. But the people that, that were surrounded by those fragrances and and the, the cravings, and you know, the, and then they get a bowl of radishes, guys. Have you had radishes? Radishes are disgusting. Um, They had to use so much willpower to get through this puzzle. So it's important it to note that it can be de- uh, depleted. And you can also practice delayed gratification. Okay, delayed gratification is instead of getting something immediately, you ha- you have to kind of um, practice withholding that reward in order to strengthen your willpower. Kind of reminds me if you guys have ever seen uh, that movie, <laughs> that movie Dodgeball. Um, I saw this when I was a kid. Uh, ben Stiller's character, I think it was like White something. Um, there's one scene he was like sitting in his office and he was like smelling a slice of pizza and he was just talking to himself like, you know, you want this pizza, don't you? You know, uh, like you really want the pizza. And he wasn't, he wouldn't eat it because he was practicing that delayed gratification. It's a little farcical, but you know, that's kind of like a bare bones example of, of what that might, what that might look like. There was a study done on delayed gratification. Um, this was done at Stanford university in 1960, by uh, two men, uh, Walter, M- Michel, and uh, Eb, eb-, 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 eb- eb-son. Um And the purpose of the study was to understand when delayed gratification um, develops in children. So it took place at a nursing school. Uh, children ages four to six participated. And they were brought into a room and presented with a treat of their choice. So it was either Oreos, marshmallows, or pretzels. I don't know who would pick anything but Oreos. I don't know about you guys, but you know, pretzels, eh, pretzels marshmallow, eh, Oreos, you know, heck yeah. So the children were given a choice. They could either eat their treat now or they could wait 15 minutes and be rewarded with a second treat. So either eat one Oreo now or you wait 15 minutes, you get two Oreos. What they found, and I don't I don't know about you, but when you were four to six, I don't, I don't necessarily know if I would be able to wait 15 minutes for an Oreo if I had one in front of me, but what they found was of the 600 children that participated, most were able to wait for the second oreo or marshmallow or pretzel so delayed gratification does work especially in children which was surprising that they have that willpower um especially like as they got older they were able to strengthen it even more um so if you know four to six year olds you know can can hold out on um you know on on having that that you know those sweets i certainly think you guys are capable of that too um so the important takeaway from those experiments is uh willpower can be strengthened um which in turn means uh habits can be modified but you know you need to remember you cannot just erase a habit if you want to quit smoking you can't just you can't just stop one day you need to substitute that routine with another routine, so when the cue comes about, you will still receive the same reward. That's why chewing gum and, you know, uh, I don't know too much about smoking, but like e-cigs or, or, or whatever, like that stuff works um, because of the three-step uh, cycle that Duhigg talks about. Uh, you interrupt – the second step to keep the, the loop intact. And that's the only proven way to change your habits. Again, it's called the power of habits by uh, Charles Duhigg. And important to note that, you know, if, if there is, if there is a habit that you want to reform, um, if there is a routine that you want to change, uh, I don't know about you guys, my, my morning routine is, is woefully, uh, you know, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I, um, I certainly, I mean, I have, I have trouble waking up on time. That's uh, that's another, another discussion, but, uh, but I think they say a lot of successful people in the world, you know, are early risers and have you know incredibly convoluted morning routines. So, if you are looking to even you know maybe like have a bigger breakfast or um, you know take care of your skin in the morning, what have you, I would definitely uh, work on supplementing those habits. So I want to pivot to dating for a moment. Um, in episode three, one of one of my uh, you know most enjoyable segments that I've done so far, I talked a lot about, uh, dating, you know, in the modern society in cities and how rather than rely on traditional date or transactional rather dating apps to meet men and women, you should try to meet people in real life. And, you know, I talked about the genuiz- the, g- the genuineness of meeting people face to face as compared with behind a screen. Um, here's the thing though, guys, no one really talks to strangers anymore. I'm. Um, you know, maybe this is just in new york city but i don't really see people even making eye contact with one another in the street like if i would venture to guess if you sit on a park bench in you know in in a central park or um you know just just on on some street in the city you're going to see a lot of people with their heads buried in their phones um not necessarily smiling at one other i don't maybe this is like ultra utopian but I don't see why we why we couldn't be more like that. Have those human interactions. You know, you'll have a a subway train in the morning that's just bustling with people, and it's dead silent because everyone's immersed in their phones. Um, I don't want to belabor the point. I talked about uh, cell phones in episode two, but the the thing is, is uh, I want to reference. I was reading a book. Excuse me. I was reading a book called The Four Hour Work Week by uh, Tim Ferriss. It's The Four Hour Work Week. It's an amazing book that we're going to talk about at some point. But each chapter has uh, these comfort challenges, and they pressure you to do things that, um, in essence, will make you uncomfortable. That make you nervous. Uh, things that you really don't want to do, but they strengthen your, you know, strengthen your stomach. Um, one of the, the comfort challenges in the book, guys, is you have to make eye contact with everyone you see over the course of of a day. So you know, you're walking in the street, you're you're heading to heading to lunch. You know, you're, you're heading somewhere. You're supposed to look look everyone you see in the eyes. And it can be intimidating, you know. And and also it says you're supposed to make eye contact with everyone and don't look away until they look away first. Like you're not supposed to be the first one to look away. That can be tough. I did that for a full day. I got a little scared. (laughs) Um, You're also supposed to smile at everyone you see for a full day. Uh, Again, like as a woman, that can be difficult because a lot of men might you know, get the wrong impression if you're, if you're out here smiling at all that. But the point of these comfort challenges is it's making you step into the discomfort, do things that scare you. And then maybe they won't scare you anymore. And I think on a general level, people in 2019 are terrified of eye contact. I think, I think the, the technology has done a lot to us, but it's made us more afraid of each other. It's made us more afraid of each other's eyes because the eyes looking someone in the eyes is is really you know a, a level of vulnerability that you're not that you can't really get um, through another means of, of connection and you know eye contact is intimidating and but it, it's it's also it's also necessary it's it's necessary and you know when we talk about approaching people. The first, the first rule needs to be eye contact. Like literally, you don't want to be walking up to someone, staring at you know your shoes or or looking to the side of them. You just gotta you know march right up and approach them eye to eye, and you know it it shows a ton of confidence because you're being vulnerable and you're risking rejection. I guess the first thing to establish before we even talk about like starting a conversation with with a stranger, what not to do. I mean this is this is like this is <laughs> very basic ground rules here. You know, I would never try to talk to someone who's clearly occupied if they're on the phone or they're giving off signals that he or she doesn't want to be bothered, headphones in. Don't come across as, like, too aggressive or threatening. Absolutely don't invade, you know, her privacy or personal space. A lot of this sounds like common sense, but, you know, you guys would be surprised. Um, Literally, if you want to start a conversation with someone, and this does not even have to be romantic. I I don't want you guys to think, like, the purpose of, of this is, you know... Is going up to if you're a man going up to every woman you see and trying to talk to her? Absolutely not. If you see someone who's um you know who, uh, who's wearing a T-shirt right like I love Breaking Bad. If you see someone who you know on the street or you know in in the place you're having lunch, just be like oh you know like that's an amazing show that uh, I, I I love that show or you know someone has a T-shirt from a band you like you know oh like have you heard their new album? Someone has a book you like like there's no harm in making human conversation. I think this this is something people people are very calculated now. You know, everything needs an end result. I'll talk to this girl because I want to get her number because, you know, I, I I want to take her out and then I want to sleep with her. I want a relationship with her. No, I mean, there's no harm in just having a human conversation with someone, um, everywhere you go. I mean, it makes, it makes them happy. It makes you happy. I think these kind of interactions are the building blocks to making a better world, in my opinion. But let's say you do want, uh, you know you are interested in someone you do see a woman that um you know that you might want to say hi to and just you know be friendly see what happens i would just walk up to her you know smile right you don't want to be like very like somber like hey uh, smile just say excuse me that's I, again i almost feel like i'm in kindergarten but the the first rule really needs to be just excuse me see if she even has a moment to talk to you then at that point you know you might want to just ask her a quick question or make an observation about her or your environment it depends on the settings which we'll get to in a moment understand that you know she might not be willing to talk to you or maybe she doesn't have time i mean there guys there are so many factors here you know we're all out here 6 7 billion people trying to live our lives as best we can i mean everyone's busy everyone has friends and family and routines and habits that we talked about and, and jobs and who, who's sitting around waiting, you know, to be approached as a man or a woman. Maybe she doesn't have time. Maybe she's about to run to the gym. Maybe she finds men who approach her creepy. Everyone is different. You know, th- there's any number of reasons why she might not be willing to have a conversation with you. Um, but excuse me, excuse me. You know, that's, that's, excuse me. Uh, and, and quick question, um, observation and just have, have a human conversation. You know, I mean, in, in terms of where you can go, I, I don't think you should be having these conversations with people at a bar or a club where everyone is too drunk and, you know, men and women are both expecting to get hit on or conversations like, hey, hey, do you like this place? Yeah, cool. Do you want to dance? No. Oh, okay. Bye. Like that's <laughs> – these are not organic conversations that will, you know, fill you up with, with – uh, with, with dopamine and good feelings, you should feel free to start a conversation with, with a woman or a man, wherever you find yourself during the day, the gym, the supermarket, the bookstore, the cafe by your office where you eat lunch. Don't go into these places with the exclusive focus that you're going to talk to a woman. You know, that's a lot, a lot of men out here are, are very, you know, single-mindedly, uh, you know, like, like have tunnel vision when it comes to these things, but you should just kind of Wherever you, you find yourself, you know, if, if you see someone that you want to talk to, just have the, the confidence and the healthy mindset to have a conversation, you know, without, without an end goal, without like, Oh, like, you know, I, I have to ask for her number. I have to, you know, form a connection. Like, no, just have, have a very honest, open conversation. And if there's chemistry, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, you can certainly look to continue that. Um. Let's say you happen to be in the produce section of a supermarket and, and you're, you're buying kale. And guys, kale is, kale is tough to find. I eat kale all the time. And when you're in that produce section, you got the lettuce, you got the colored greens, you got the mustard greens, you got the spinach. It all looks the same to me. I mean, if, if you're tr- trying to dig for kale in the produce section, there's a woman, you know, who, who's standing next to you, who's, you know, attractive, who's giving off um, confidence, who, you know, who, who you might want to just say hello to there'd be nothing wrong. If she's picking out some collard greens, smile, introduce yourself, you know, maybe, maybe ask her, you know, are you planning like, how are you planning to, um, to make those collard greens? I, I, I mean, this guys, like it's, there's no, there's no like steps one, two, three, but it's just having, having organic conversation, um, wherever you might be. Like, let's, let's say you're in a Barnes and Noble, um, or, or the library. I mean, I, I love that. I love the library, but let's say you're at a bookstore, an independent bookstore. Uh, let's let's support our independent bookstores out here. You're looking for a birthday gift for your brother or sister in the science fiction section, and there's a beautiful girl that enters your peripheral vision, and she's holding a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, all you have to do is smile at her, you know, make some eye contact, and say something like, "Oh my gosh, that's that's one of my favorites. Have, have you read uh, you know, this 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 other book by you know that same author or whatever." you you have absolutely nothing to lose everything guys and this is this is a, a recurring theme i want to get across in nervous habits everything is a learning experience and even if you strike out and you know you walk away from that the woman will likely walk away respecting that you tried because it's not easy to approach someone cold you know the worst thing you could do is do absolutely nothing at all and you're going to spend the rest of your day fantasizing about your relationship from the mysterious girl at the bookstore, uh, you know, while you're swiping Tinder on the toilet, or you know, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll go on Craigslist guys. You'll be on like misconnections on Craigslist posting about, you know, the, the person on the subway that you guys were making like googly eyes at each other. You know, this, this, the Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott quote comes to mind. You miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. And another thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a woman. Like I don't have the female perspective, but Um, you know, having sisters and and having female friends, I do hear this a lot. Most women aren't used to guys approaching them during the daytime. You know, if a girl's going to a bar, sure, she's going to have every guy in town coming up to her with the same pathetic lines and a glass of liquid courage for moral support. Um, but it takes real courage to talk to another person during the daytime, you know, I mean, to, to actually step outside your comfort zone, look someone in the eyes and say, hi, you know, um, I'm um, Andrew from Worcester. <laughs> Hi, I'm Marissa from Instagram. Like, it's it's not easy to do, and more often than not, I think people are going to respect you. And I haven't even talked about what it's going to do to you, like confidence wise, like having the courage to have initiated that conversation. Um, and I talked about in in episode three the the fact that I think those relationships, those interactions, tend to form more um, salient connections than those that you make swiping on a screen. Because remember, okay. If, if it's Friday night and your dates on Saturday it's gonna be tough to flake on someone when you have that that smile and that laugh and that that um, you know like all that it swirling in your head that's a person that's not an abstract image that, that you can just close out put your phone in your drawer and never think of again so it's it's I think it's really imperative for for us to to kind of get back to that 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 way of connecting with each other um, you know, I, before I came to New York, I think I, I was, <laughs> I think I was, even I think I was friendlier. I think like if I'm, I, you know, if I was at the gym, um, I'd kind of like, I'd talk to more people like, you know, I'd see, see a guy like ask him like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, what, what, um, you know, uh, you're working out this part of your body. Like, what do you recommend for this? Or, you know, I'd, I'd see, um, as I said earlier with the other example, someone had a t-shirt uh, from like, you know, uh, men's bodybuilding. And I, would you know, ask them, Oh, you're part of the company. I think living in New York has kind of, harden me I want to say and I don't do that as much as I used to um, because guys like I, I didn't mention this but there's a chance this could go wrong you know there, there's a risk in every interaction if you start a conversation with 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 a, with a guy at the gym um, there's a chance he might tell you fuck off there's a chance that you know you talk to a girl in a bookstore and she completely ignores you there's a chance that she tells you you know asks you oh why are you why are you talking to people? like that's so crazy?" but guys uh, to be to be honest like yes there might be one or two people that aren't comfortable with this and you should absolutely respect that you know not push the envelope in any way but at the end of the day like you got to do what's best for yourself and um, and minimize the risks for your future and you know th- that, that necessity is more important than the chance that someone might not be receptive. So what do you do after the conversation? Uh, let's say you, you know, you, you have an awesome conversation in the produce section or in the bookstore. You absolutely want to exchange numbers. Do not just give a girl your number or give a guy your number. Make sure that he or she has yours too. So she can text you if she's interested, right? Like if I if I give a girl um excuse me, if I get a girl's number, but then you know, life gets busy and I forget to text her. She has no opportunity to text me just in case, you know, she wants to initiate. Uh, so I think that's, that's an important thing that, you know, it's, it's some people kind of forget about. We're, we're going to get into first date's ideas and uh, first date conversations in a future episode because I think that's an opportunity to really um, set yourself apart and connect with people in a different sense, uh, really channel your creativity. So we'll be talking about that for sure. And I want to emphasize none of this advice is just for men, Okay. Uh, women should absolutely be approaching men they're interested in as well. And I know that everything I said about how intimidating it is to approach a stranger goes double for women because conventional, you know, wisdom is, is oh, you know, you have to like wait for the man to approach you, otherwise you're you're lowering yourself. Yada 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 yada. And I have, you know, female friends who actually tell me they will stand next to a guy they're interested in in the gym to work out right in front of him. Or they'll move near him at the bar, so he'll talk to her. And then fifty percent of the time, you know, he has has the courage to talk to her. Fifty percent of the time, he doesn't. He walks away, or he doesn't notice. Let's face it, men can be distracted and inattentive. But why not just introduce yourself instead of waiting? I mean, this is 2019. Women are empowered to make so many important decisions in their lives and their careers and their like. Why not in dating too? And for what it's worth, like men absolutely love you know if if a woman um, says hi or you know like. I I think it shows confidence in the same way that men approaching women does. And as we kind of look at the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and how uh, society and and dating is going to evolve, I truly think you're going to see more of that. You're going to see more um, women really taking the bull by the horns. And, you know, maybe men might be standing at the bar like, you know, getting close to women waiting for them to open up. Um, And that's really I think that's that's a crucial takeaway as well. So. Uh important, definitely important to to lean into the discomfort. Try those comfort challenges that I mentioned. Um, and, and literally, you know, you see someone – if you see someone that you're, you know, that you're interested in having a conversation with, man, um, woman, what have you, uh, you know, smile, make eye contact. Hi, I'm Andrew from Worcester, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that, Andrew. <laughs> All right. So anyways, uh, lastly, I do want to talk about – um, for the nutrition segment, I want to talk about fiber and I've been building up to this segment for weeks. Fiber. I mention it all the time. Half of you are sick of hearing about it. The other half are wondering, you know, what the hell fiber is. Um, I actually had no idea what fiber was when I was a kid. My dad used to make a cup of Metamucil every morning and I had it once. It was disgusting. I didn't know why he was drinking it. Uh, Metamucil by the way is a fiber supplement, but like with other nutrients, it's better to get, um, the nutrient from a food itself rather than from a supplement. So let me give you some background info, uh, and this is from our friends over at Live Science. I'm going to put all the info in the details description on iTunes and Spotify, so you have it. Dietary fiber is essentially a plant-based nutrient that cannot be broken down into digestible sugar molecules, so it's going to pass through the intestinal tract relatively intact. But as it's going through your digestive system, guys, it does a lot of good for your body. Okay, it's going to help with number one, digesting food in in general. Number two, regularity in bowel movements, okay? (laughs) Number three, weight management. Uh, Four, blood sugar regulation. Five, cholesterol management. And six, it's been shown to decrease your risk of cancer and heart disease and to slow aging. Believe it or not, eating fiber will slow aging, all right? Um, It it has an impact. So once upon a time, I used to eat fast food for every meal. I had a fast metabolism like, you know, every other 17-year-old. It was burgers and fries and pizza and tacos. And I honestly could not wrap my, my mind around why you needed to put vegetables into your body. I mean I ate burgers and fries and I was full. I was happy. I was healthy. I was skinny. Why would anyone choose whole wheat over white bread, right? It, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, but I realized a couple of things. Fiber, for one, is loaded with micronutrients. And these are the things we talked about earlier in the podcast, vitamins and minerals. And they do a world of good for immune system in our skin – and also, you need fiber to have a healthy stomach. A diet of just meat and carbs, let's just say you won't be making friends in the restroom, okay? Most American meals do not have enough fiber. We love our meat. And while protein is important, too much obviously comes with risk um, with the, you know, the, the fats and you know, increasing your cholesterol. We love carbs and starches like potatoes. But potatoes are not a good source of fiber, and it's not even just vegetables, guys. Like there are a lot of other things. You know, fruits have fibers. Uh, whole grains have fibers. We're going to go into spe- uh, specifics in a second. But the average American actually needs 30 grams of fiber a day. 21 to 25 for women, uh, 30 to 38 for men. I'm sorry, guys out there. Uh, an average of 30 grams a day, I'm willing to bet. I will bet any of my listeners. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't want, I don't know if I want to quantify, but I'm willing to bet you guys. All right. And we talk about this a lot the most people do not get 30 grams of fiber a week. I will say like 95% of Americans, now that's a little high, maybe like 80 to 80 to 85% of Americans do not get that 35, uh, 30 grams of fiber a week. The lack of fiber is probably the most serious nutritional de- de- deficiency in America that nobody's talking about. Nobody, how often do you hear like, oh, you know, uh, you hear the news, it seems like, you know, people aren't eating enough fiber. Nobody talks about it. Even if you take a supplement like Metamucil, like Papa Rosen did, You'll, you're still only getting three grams on average per serving. So let's go through the numbers. I, I want you guys to understand how much fiber is in most things. One cup of raspberries has eight grams. One, one banana has three grams. A cup of green peas has nine grams. cup of broccoli has five grams. cup of Brussels, uh, Brussels sprouts has four grams. A carrot has 1.5 grams. A cup of quinoa has five grams. A cup of brown rice has two grams. Uh, and a slice of rye bread has two grams. So... You need to eat a lot of fruit and vegetables to hit that 30-gram mark. I'm not going to lie. You know, Some of you out there will eat a banana and be walking around like you're going to be on the next cover of Men's Health magazine. That's three grams, guys, three grams. If you eat a banana with your breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, and meat and potatoes for dinner, you think you're healthy, but I got news for you. You're, you're at about 10% of the fiber you need for your longevity. If you eat some broccoli and some Brussels sprouts with your dinner, but that's it. Guys, you're at one-third of your optimal fiber percentage. If you want a cheat code to get more fiber in your diet, probably the best source of fiber is in legumes, nuts, and seeds. And these numbers are going to rock your world. Remember remember, I said before, you know, uh, a cup of broccoli is 5 grams, uh, uh, carrots a gram and a half, a banana's 3 grams. Guys, a cup of split peas, a boiled cup of split peas is 16 grams. Half your recommended fiber intake. A cup of lentils is 15.5 grams. And a cup of black beans is 15 grams. You know, that's why, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's an, an adult podcast. That's why beans give you flatulence because they're loaded with fiber that aids digestion. So it's good to eat beans and it's healthy to flatulate. <laughs> a cup of chia seeds, 10 grams. Guys, you should be eating a healthy diet of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, but integrate those nuts and seeds and legumes into your diet as well. So let's say hypothetically. All right. You wanted to create a meal for yourself, loaded with fiber, but it also tastes good. You know, because let's let's face it, nobody wants to eat you know a uh, uh, bowl of spinach and, and, and kale every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So let me put on my uh, air quotes nutritionist uh, armchair nutritionist jacket and and see what I can do for you. So for the morning, here's a fiber rich meal, an example. So let's say you make uh, an omelet. With broccoli, cheese, and tomato, and a slice of whole grain toast, and you know, don't forget, you need protein. <laughs> episode one, so you have the eggs in there. You're gonna get five grams of fiber with the broccoli, five grams with the whole grain toast. So we got ten grams so far for breakfast. That's not bad. Ten grams, that's not that bad. And guys, that that's a breakfast sounds pretty good. An omelet with broccoli, cheese, tomato, and whole grain toast it sounds good to me. And that is a fiber-rich breakfast. A fiber-rich lunch that could be a kale salad with grilled chicken and, you know, your, your pick of vegetables. Let's say you wanted uh, corn, black beans, peas, and avocado. That sounds pretty good to me. You're probably at 30 grams, guys, right there, alone. You got three grams of fiber in the kale, <clears throat> two grams in the avocado, 15 grams of the beans, and nine grams in the peas. Salads are actually probably the, you know, the easiest source of fiber because it's direct. You can just literally, instead of having to cook the the, the fiber into the meal, you can just dump the fiber rich vegetables into the salad. So, fiber its lunches are pretty easy, and for dinner, I actually uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has dietary guidelines for um, uh, for dinner plates. If you go to MyPlate, chooseMyPlate.gov, you can get more info. But I I absolutely subscribe to to their philosophy, which is 25% protein, so meat, 25% whole grains, and 50% fruits and vegetables. Um, so that might be, you know, lamb chops with quinoa, sauteed kale, and baked carrots. Uh, maybe it's chicken cutlets with uh, brown rice, string beans, and heirloom tomatoes. Uh, maybe it's uh, grilled salmon with farra and broccoli and Brussels sprouts. Guys, these these meals sound pretty good. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want you know lamb chops with with quinoa, kale, and cat Like these are these are delicious sounding meals, and they're loaded with fiber. Everything that I've just said, I mean, you could probably get like close to your daily, maybe a little bit less, maybe like twenty grams. I uh, you know close to your daily requirement of fiber just from that meal. So don't think that you have to be eating fiber with every meal. I mean, it, it's, it's good. You know, I, I, I don't advise against it, but all it really takes is having one or two really healthy fiber rich meals a day. And, you know, a good fiber rich meal, I would say, um, you know, looking at the USDA guidelines, it, it has those four components, right? You have, you have the meat and you have the, the whole grain and, and, you know, two vegetables, because let's be honest, if you put lots of vegetables on your plate, not only does it taste good, but it looks good. You know, like like uh, you, you guys have probably heard a colorful plate is usually the healthiest. You know, you want to have like, you know, the brown and the orange and the green and the red and the bright colors. And it looks great for your Instagram because I know a lot of you guys are, are out here posting food and I'm guilty of the same thing. But it's usually really healthy too. So just to kind of review um, – you know some of the some of the takeaways here. Uh, important when you know we're we're building new habits or replacing uh, habits that, that you want to remove from your life. To remember that the Q routine reward uh, substitute that routine um, when the Q comes about in order to keep that reward intact. Um, in the dating world. Uh, definitely step outside your comfort zone. Uh, don't be afraid to, to talk to someone either platonically or romantically um, and just, just see what happens. You know, Have that, that intrinsic motivation, not necessarily extrinsic and calculated. And finally, uh, it's really important for your longevity to make sure you're getting enough fiber in your diet. So remember um, the recommended meals uh, and the foods, the legumes, nuts, and seeds that are heavy in, uh, in fiber. So next week, guys, it's going to be a really important episode for me and for Nervous Habits in general. Uh, we're going to be talking about mental health. And you know, before I, I preview the episode, I, I just want to say this is a cause that's especially close to my heart. And I think that right now uh, there's a spotlight on mental health that we're not seeing, that we haven't seen, really because – it's in pop culture. I mean there was a movie, Eighth Grade, that does a beautiful job illuminating anxiety in today's children. Obviously the the TV show 13 Reasons Why, um, which is another beautiful show, talks about depression and suicide in teenagers. So I, I'm looking forward to the discussion. It's it's going to be – it's definitely going to be raw and open and honest. Um, you know we're going to we're going to try to keep it light as as always as is um, you know conventional with the pod in order to facilitate the discussion next week i'm going to have another very special guest joining us someone i have known my entire life or almost all of it anyway to help carry along the conversation and rather than breaking next week's episode into segments we're going to be doing something a little bit different we're just going to be discussing the topic of mental health for the entire episode Uh, focusing on our own experiences living with generalized anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. It will be deeply personal. It will be informative and hopefully, you know, it'll, uh, it'll move and inspire a lot of you. So I hope that you will all tune in next week for that. Guys, it's been a uh, a ton of fun uh, here on episode six of Nervous Habits. Thanks so much for, for being with me. Um, please take time. If you haven't already rate and review, uh, Nervous Habits podcast on, uh, you know, in the Apple podcast, uh, on, on that platform, uh, you know, keep those emails coming in, uh, Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail and on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Stay nervous, and have a wonderful rest of your day.